Welcome to Half a Cinch. This is a music podcast where we talk about the albums from 1972 as they're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Uh, I'm Mike Jeffers, and my co-host is about to say his name. Hello, it's Jared. Oh, oh, yeah, right. He's getting better at that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have a guest, uh, our friend Gabe Coleman. Uh, he's a musician himself uh, a music fan uh, and say hi Gabe hi I you know that's um, that has got to be one of the first times I think I've uh, been introduced as a musician I you know I'm definitely a weekend warrior uh, I'm definitely a, a jam band enthusiast let me rephrase that I am definitely like sitting in on jams and whatnot um, I've taken the stage a couple times in my life but I've uh, I've done a lot more photography, you know, photography for bands. And um, I, I, I don't know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, you know, I know my place. I've, I'm an excellent rhythm guitar player, um, excellent rhythm banjo player. I'm becoming an excellent rhythm mandolin player. But uh, I appreciate that. That's a great, uh, uh, that's a great intro. Thank hey, you. Hey, man, you, you play a musical instrument. Therefore, you are a musician. I'll take it. Very good. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I did not know about the photography, though. Uh, I mean, is that just sort of a, an amateur thing, too? Just it was. And it's it's been quite a while, but um, there was a band in town called Metal in the Microwave. And yeah. I followed them. Um, you know, I had great friends in that group. And, you know, I was I was uh, uh, kind of a help them load and unload. And it was at the same time I was starting up my uh, uh, art gallery and I had this high quality Olympus camera that I did not know how to use, but I just, you know, I shot thousands of photos in a given evening and then picked out my favorite top 10 and, you know, turn them over to the band and whatnot. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, yeah, I, I, I don't know the, the guys like personally, but I know metal in the microwave seen them a couple of times. We, um, we played a, a Halloween tribute show with those guys once where we, we were Jr. and I and a couple other folks were uh, the Dead Kennedys, and some okay. of some of those. James Can is James Candon's Halloween party. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they they just were themselves. I think they they yeah. were sort of the headline, or they were Rip Orkowski or however you say. Rip, yeah, Rip Orkowski oh, yeah. in the morning yeah, after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, James Camden. Uh, he threw some ruckus parties, that's for sure. And the um, house off the highway was out of control. Yeah, but Star really of Indiana. Time. Yeah, that was that was. Um, um, yeah, I, I I think that's when he, Papa Smurf when he was all in blue. I don't know if that was the costume, <laughs> but you were there. But yeah. Um, yeah. So metal in the microwave, not to, to dwell on it, but a lot of those guys were out of Ellettsville. And when I was in college, all my roommates were um, from Ellettsville. And so I sort of tagged along with them to these shows. And then the music with that that followed and circled that group was just amazing. So great yeah we played some shows with rolling blackouts and i played shows cool ranch a lot of the guys from from yeah. those band side projects too so that's very awesome. cool yeah small world small town <laughs> uh well this week we're talking about the allman brothers album eat a peach uh this was it's it's a great album there's i mean there's tragedy involved so it's sort of bittersweet um but just right off the top it was their third studio record. Uh, it it got a lot of success because their the live album that came before this, the live at the Fillmore East, was was huge for them. Um, 
the, a lot of the guys were, were struggling, you know, with drugs and they were kind of in and out of rehab. But, uh, you know, Dwayne Allman was the guy that was sort of like leading the charge to get everyone, you know, clean and get, get back on the right track. And they went into the studio in September of 71 and cut some, cut a couple tracks. And unfortunately, you know, Dwayne lost his life to a motorcycle accident uh, in the middle of the whole like recording process. Uh, where they did it was down in Miami at a studio called Criteria. Uh, and uh, according to Greg Allman, uh, during, you know, during the sessions to try to keep everyone's like, you know, morale up, uh, apparently they had a doctor come in and inject them with B12 shots uh, occasionally to try to, you know, just give them some sort of like lift that, you know, that wasn't narcotics. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, there, there's a lot of industry talk that the band was like finished after Dwayne's death. Um, but you know, they, uh, Betts was Dickie Betts. He was like real big into, uh, convincing the band. He was, he was sort of the spearhead of making sure that they went out there and they toured and they didn't replace Dwayne. And, you know, they just, they did it just them. Uh, and I guess on that tour for this album, this was the first time that they were ever headliners. So that was pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're, um, you know, you know, this album, well, Gabe, as you've told us, uh, tell us what's, what's your, you know, so, you know, relationship uh, with it. I was, I was thanking you for, for inviting me to be on this because it put me in a position of revisiting this album, um, which, you know, is, is chock full of, of songs that are, are nostalgic, have a high nostalgic factor for me. And what I realized was, um, in, in all honesty, and I, I say this only sort of tongue in cheek, I, I like the Allman Brothers. I don't love the Allman Brothers. What I realized in diving into this was I have so much positive nostalgia built up around moments where their music was on in the background, um, and particularly from this album. And I say this to, to the two of you as well, Bloomington Natives, you know, growing up in this town, we had four major radio stations, right? It was 93.1, which was the buzzard, classic rock, 94.7, Q95, classic rock. B97 was more modern hip, but they would do their retros and the Allman Brothers would would show up on that. And 92.3 WTTS would always throw in Sweet Melissa or uh-huh. or, um, you know, I mean, they got around. Right. That so, was my, that was my preferred station. 92.3. 92.3. I kind of came into later. I was I, you know, 93.1 or 94.7 were always in the car when we were on family trips or moving around you know, even within towns. And my parents were big classic rock fans. And, you, you know, I didn't even realize early on that all of those different sounds were coming from the Allman Brothers, you know, and we'll go through the track list, you know, and you compare there's, they come from a lot of different directions. But I also discovered that Dickie Betts as a guitar player, objectively is an amazing guitar player, but his his sound is so piercing and grating and it fires up and you know i think back in the day during during the jam band live concert session that would get people charging up to the the stage but you know I, in in my college 
college home in our basement where we had a crappy makeshift bar and a uh, record player and we were playing this album, it would come on and I would just, I would, I would twinge a little bit. I, you know, Dwayne Allman was an amazing, like smooth guitar player, but Dickie Betts was just piercing with what he did. And, um, you know, so, so having, having this album in the background, it would always sort of pierce the veil of whatever was happening, pierce the fog, pierce the smoky room, pierce the, 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 you know, what was, what was going on. And, um, and what I recall are just tremendous, you know, tremendous times in the car with family, tremendous times in fan and with friends. And, and all of this is just to wrap up and say that, this album, you know, is the backdrop of a lot of really good times for me. And so I like, I have a nostalgic built up for this album, but, you know, as far as like, um, you know, loving or obsessing over every track, it's, you know, that's not, that's not the joy I get out of this album. I realize I came, I've come now having listened to this and several others to realize I'm not as big of an Allman Brothers fan as I thought I was. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, I guess you could say that Dickie Betts was the, he was the B12 injection. He was through, yeah. through the, through the marijuana smoke. Yeah. If uh, you were feeling uh, lethargic, he will kick you in the ears. That's for sure. It's the oldest trick in the book. Tell the label execs it's B12. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, uh, JR, uh, I know, I know you're a big, I know. Go ahead and tell them who, who's your favorite guitar player. Well, yeah, I mean, I look, Dwayne Allman's my one of my guys. I mean, and he's obsessed with Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Those are kind of like my three dudes, and they all have like this triangle of like their careers kind of all overlap each other, which is really cool. Clapton's in there as a friend of Dwayne and Jimmy. There's all this stuff with him, so I love Dwayne. Uh, you nailed it, Gabe, like with the formative stuff. I mean, total formative for me, high school and some college for me, but I grew up in the BMG generation, right? Where you like lie and get yeah. 12 CDs for free and the blue jean uh, greatest hits. I mean, yeah. I spun that thing until it, you know, I had to probably lie and say, give him another name and get another one. So, you know, Midnight Rider, Blue Sky, Little Martha, um, all of Melissa these are all songs I love so much and then as like a teenager going and seeing them live I got my yearbook picture in an Almond Brothers shirt in high wow. school um, and then as an adult being a music nerd and playing and writing songs and reading about Dwayne and learning how he played all those notes with the slide on an open E guitar and like that clear smooth clarity you said if you've ever tried to play a note with a slide and then you go listen to how he played like in a row consecutively and made it sound smooth as the glass he was using. Um, So yeah, I got a lot of nerdery. I'll probably try to hold back a little (laughs) bit because I I got a lot of nerdery on this one, but um, down to like, uh, you know, the vinyl versus the CD versus the release and why they did all that. So um, very, very excited to do this one. 72 is just packed. You talk, about the, yeah. you talk about the you talk about the the slide guitar. I, I remember reading about how there's a lot of pressure on Dickie to to cover for Dwayne's slide guitar playing because he was the guy who was going to take over, and there were some of the other guys like you know they had memories of Dickie like practicing constantly on the airplanes or uh, you know on the bus or whenever they were getting back to the studio, knowing that like he he was going to have to do the slide guitar justice now and i i just thought you know this it's just very interesting to like you know just to think about like 
here's this here's this person who perfected the sound in your band and now he's gone and you know as, as like an homage to him you know make sure that like even if you even if your style is is still going to be your style this one in particular sound like you want to make sure that that like you you're duplicating his sound like i don't know i i thought that yeah. was very interesting yeah uh, go ahead i also agree with gabe about Vicky betts i mean i love the guy i don't you know he probably was one of the best they could get around that time but I really love later in the eras where Butch's kid Derek Trucks played with him because he was played open E, played an SG, played with a course, course Corcus in the medicine bottle slide, was a little kid. He was like, it was like Dwayne Reborn. Um, I don't know if Dickie and him ever shared the stage outside of like a reunion or a special, because I know even when I saw Dickie as a high schooler, he was in a chair and he was already on his way out health wise. So they may have never shared that. Um, but for me, yeah, I, I mean, no one could play like Dwayne, a slide like him. Well, and I didn't, I mean, Warren Haynes was, was, you know, he's, uh, I, I, I liked, I knew government mule first. Um, but, you know, I was thrilled to, to learn later on that he had that connection and he's got covers of Midnight Rider and, and, and version of, of those that I think are just amazing. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So they hit it. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if it fits in now or later, but this, I know this group was, was uh pioneers with having two lead guitar players two drummers two lead guitars um and and not tripping over each other um we, you know with with that group metal in the microwave we all worked a job together for a little bit and we read as we were on this job this paint site uh, the book the the zena guitar right the zena playing guitar um and it talks about passing the hot potato around, right? You know, sharing the sharing the moment, sharing the the energy, but allowing you know somebody to step up, do a lick, do a solo, step back, you know, in equal time and share it. And and I know that that's what this group was was hailed for in in their time. Yeah, another band doesn't really come to mind like in that early, you know, like later in the seventies, like the the one that I always that always comes to mind for me was Thin Lizzy because they you know they always had like the the two guitar players who you know, uh, played in tandem off of each other. But as far as like, yeah, as, as early, like if there's anybody earlier than Almond Brothers, I can't, I can't think of them. Um, well, it was also the jam, the different types of jamming. It was practiced and rehearsed jams. It was yeah. like, oh, Dickie was like, oh, here's this thing Dwayne always does and I'm going to do it with him. They weren't playing those dual things right off the top of each other's head. That'd be magical, you know, yeah, but, but you're right. So, yeah. it, it, so it, and it's kind of like Skinner did the same thing. A lot of the Southern rock bands, a lot of the Muscle Shoals groups, they, they just played with each other so much and didn't record everything that they knew, oh, it's that lick. And, oh, he's yeah. an A minor. He's going for that lick. Where like Grateful Dead was like more about coming up with that moment out of nowhere even government mule would do that with their jams because it, it it's two different types and and allman brothers would get out there too but yeah i mean in two drummers man i play drums I, that blew me away when i was a teenager yeah and it, that it didn't sound like chaos but i heard someone make a joke you know the more drums the better for hippies so <laughs> and that's i mean you know i and just some of the interviews and things that i watched casually i know i, I believe that there's a bit of tension as far as the Grateful Dead versus the Allman Brothers, as far as who pushed the jam genre. And um, I, so 
here's my here's my my uh, uh, dirty admission at the top of this. I do not particularly enjoy jam bands. And one of the one of my moments with this album, I was in a party leading up against the bar. Um, and what I can't remember the name of the song, but it's the 30 minute track, the one that's Mountain when you Mountain Jam, right? When you've got the album, you're putting it, you know, it's two two records long, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember just sort of looking up confused and just being like, is this the same fucking song? What is happening? I, I, and, stand, I stand in solidarity with you, Gabe. I, I've been around a lot of people who are, are I, I worked with a lot of people who are jam enthusiasts and mm-hmm. I, I heard it a lot. And yeah, I'm I'm not really a fan of it either. Yeah, it's I'm I and it'll as, as we get into the individual tracks, I'll have more of a comment on that. But it's just to say that uh, you know, of the people who are doing it, I I much prefer their version of jamming than the Grateful Dead or Fish or you know, yeah, yeah. widespread I, panic or like it ro- it kind of rocks yeah, more too, you know, because it's rehearsed and it's a yeah. little more of a framework around it. I, I mean, I, I, to be honest, and especially now as an adult, I absolutely agree, you know, not expanding my mind as much as a teenager, sure. right? But, but uh, you know, the famous, I always think of the famous Zappa whipping post cover, like, and how he just nails it. And was he just being a dick? <laughs> like, showing that they could do it too and improv on it and kind of mm-hmm. be like, yeah, it's not that great, guys. These Southern guys aren't that. But I don't know. I mean, it's always kind of been, that Southern rock thing has always been close to my heart and they kind of tried to expand it little but i, I totally I mean, I get, I get the jam thing i'm because you're gonna have misses with that too and my gosh they're so bad the misses yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh yeah all right well track list then let's get into uh let's get into the album um opens up with ain't wasting time no more which was the lead single off of the album uh and you know he he wrote this music he wrote this music uh, while Dwayne was still alive and then of course, you know, in the in the middle of of writing the album that happened. And so he wrote the lyrics afterwards. And it's it's uh it's the biggest uh, of all the songs, it's definitely the biggest tribute to him, to Dwayne. Yeah, and it I mean the song is just it's it's basically just about like, you know, like you said, it's like living living your life um to the fullest, right? Did you talk about how he passed? Um, I mentioned that it was a motorcycle accident. I believe like, I? He, I like he got T-boned by a peach truck or something, or is that hearsay? I never uh, looked. No, I think that's. I think myth. that's hearsay. Yeah, that's that a myth. A, yeah, yeah, that's right. It was. Um, it was the truck was uh, transporting a like a crane, uh, some right. some sort of. Uh, yeah, there was an arm. Yeah, that came out. Yeah, and he uh, po- he possibly hit the uh, he yeah he hit the claw or the the ball. That was hanging from the crane, um, but yeah, the I, I mean that's a the, big rumor. So it's clear yeah, that the, up. the peach oh, truck thing. Yeah. I mean, it is it is kind of funny, I guess. But the 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 title of the album actually came from something Dwayne said, though. Uh, I wrote it down. What's it say? Uh, I eat a peach anytime I'm in Georgia. I eat a peach for peace. Yeah, yeah. the The full quote is: "You can't help the revolution." Because there's just evolution. Every time I'm in Georgia, Georgia, I eat a peach for peace. And um, good for yeah, him, so- man. That couldn't have been an easy mantra to have in those days. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Jr. Like you said, I mean, you know, this was this group, um, which I sort of, I mean, well, they were uh, kind of holding a 
a place in the heart of Southern rockers, but they were bleeding into, you know, the much more free love hippie revolution type thing. I mean, they, they really, uh, it was, a, it was an olive, uh, you know, an olive branch between these two, two genres of music and two groups of people, I think that, that were leery of each other at first, but, uh, you know, I've heard that the concerts were, you know, just a, uh, a hotbed of of social activity to say the least yeah so so this this song actually uh in the, in the third verse it kind of it, it steps out of it being personal and it's it it's more broad and they wanted to say something about the you know the vets that were returning and so in that third verse of the song you know they say well by and by way after many years have gone and all the war freaks die off leaving us alone We'll raise our children in peaceful way we can. It's up to you and me, brother, to try and try again. So it, yeah, it was almost. It's like there's two, there's two, com, not competing, but there's two things like layered on top of each other in the song. One is one is mourning the loss of his brother, and the other one is is mourning for these these guys returning from a war into you know after everything that they've seen and done. So yeah, you're right. It was they they were sort of like walking that line of, uh, you know, it, it, the Southern rock and also like the, the sort of the hippie movement, the revolution movement. And they used to hang out as brothers, Dwayne and Greg at the Macon Cemetery a lot. And in the book, he talks about, they would talk to a lot of vets and derelict people yeah. like on the fringe of society and get those opinions they weren't necessarily getting from the people in the, you know, two level houses. So he was grounded. Uh, Dwayne was the one like in the whole time that was grounded. That was like, no, we're not doing that. No, that's too soft. No, that's too hard. No, that's too this from the very beginning. And you can tell very quickly after this album, how a lot of that changed. Um, yeah. Track two, uh, Les Brez in a minor or lay Bray. It, it's actually not really a proper translation. I think it's just, <laughs> it's bad French for the brothers. Um, and this one was, it's funny the, the first three songs on this album are all like the tributes to Dwayne, the three big tributes. And this one was, was Dickie's uh, instrumental uh, composition. It, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like this is, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, when, when jam bands, you want to call it, or, or, you know, bands like that, when they do stuff like this, that's, that's when they, it really gets my attention. Cause this is, this is, it's incredibly like well thought out. Uh, I mean, even though they, uh, according to Greg, they did 29 takes of this song, oh, and wow. they and they kept the second one. Hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, 29. Maybe that could be an embellishment. I I cannot see. I mean, you whip enough vitamin B12 onto a group, and you're going to get 30 takes out of them, right? I mean, (laughs) is that what the kids are calling it these days? Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's it clocks in just under 10 minutes too. Yeah. So I mean, fucking 29 times doing it. Uh, it, I I, it's a great song. I I love the song. It they the apparently the band noticed something very familiar with the sound of it, and it turns out that it was. Dickie took like his guitar solo from the live version of Whipping Post. Right. Yeah, right. I did. Yeah, I remember reading that. More of that theory that they rehearsed their jam kind of, you know, thing. But I've also heard stories from because the books all conflict, all the stories conflict. But there are stories that this and Blue Sky were how Dickie was like gotten the group and like proved himself as a peer of Dwayne's. 
um but i mean pretty good auditions those two tunes you know is like because he was gonna have a lot to prove after this album but yeah. uh we used to call it like labets or ladicky labet or something i can't remember <laughs> we had a funny name <laughs> um yeah so track three is that's the, this is the big single melissa uh it it, it peaked at 65 on the on the charts um and yeah what 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 do you want to say about this song it, i mean this is this is definitely so i like, i you know i yeah th- so i'm compelled to speak about this song and not just because my wife's name is melissa but um, I went back. One of the reasons why I went back and listened to the first two albums was because I had this thought, and it holds true. This is a distinctly different sound than any one that comes up. It's a much more linear song as well. And we talked about their kind of jam band nature, and, and I was mentioning, you know, just I kind of roll my eyes with the jamming. But up to this point, it seems like each song is a vehicle towards a jam session moment. Melissa is is very different than that you know it has a very definitive start middle end and um i mean jmo has this kind of repetitive wave of drumming that he gets into i mean it it, it speaks to the sound of the almond brothers for sure but it's definitely tied into i I don't know if it was geared towards being a a radio hit i know that it, it was a song um that i think uh greg wrote for his brother in advance right the, the so, song was written in 67 so he wrote but, this he wrote the song he never intended for this song to be an almond brothers song yeah but it was yeah. it was Dwayne didn't like it at first he was like no nah, lame well yeah. but then then he actually told greg this this was actually after greg had reworked it a lot he had reworked mm-hmm. it and reworked it then it actually became Dwayne's favorite song that yeah. greg ever wrote and so because of that greg wanted it on the album it yeah, was, he played it as funeral as well yeah it's it was like his you know his another tribute to to it i i think there's a little hearsay about the song too with the tuning so a lot of people think this song is an open e but really greg when he first picked up the guitar frustrated he wrote it with Dwayne's guitar in open e and then as he reworked it and then before it got recorded it became a standard tune song so all these guitar board nerds argue all the time because you can play the song in both tunings and make it sound exactly like the record yeah i was gonna say i mean i you know i definitely wooed my wife with this and my guitar you know yeah i was was a musician right into that relationship that's for sure Uh, yeah for sure so that's it's it's a great nerdy song but but yet a ballad but yet about a brother yeah it's got real love in it you can feel it what's funny if you 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 dig deep into the lyrics and you really try to interpret it the song is called melissa but it's not even about Melissa. The song is about a guy who loves to just like travel around. But the one his like the anchor that he keeps going back to is this woman, Melissa, which I, I just I, <laughs> I find the lyrics for this song really funny because you you think this song is going to be a guy singing a song to a woman named Melissa. But it's not it's it's a guy singing a song about a guy. Mm-hmm. who just happens yeah. to have a, a, the, a woman in his life named Melissa. It was so. originally Delilah, but then mm-hmm. I guess the story is he saw some old Spanish lady with her kids at a gros- at a gas station, and she was like, Melissa, Melissa, and he said, oh, sweet Melissa. And then he went immediately home and changed Delilah to it's Melissa. Like, gotta be that. <laughs> Boom. And, and the, you know, the, the rock story 
the, or the rock and roll story behind the song is that he ended up selling the song to pay for an airplane ticket. And so he, he you know, he lost the rights to the song. And then later, Allman Brothers manager bought the song back. Yeah. Uh, wow. So it was like a, this one and another song. It was like, we'll give you Melissa. And they like had to bargain. Like, <laughs> we'll give you a cheap B-side and Melissa. <laughs> but yeah, oh. it's the song that he'd been working on and working on and wrote, rewrote it like a hundred times. You know, he ended up selling it for a plane ticket. Yeah. And that's, that's what you got to do sometimes. Right. When on they, down the line. I know Warren, there's, there's a recorded version of Warren Haynes and Tim Reynolds uh, that is amazing. And I don't know. I, I have yet to. I, they, they did the Soul Shine version as well, that was off the hook. I don't know. Like I haven't been able to track down where or why that happened. If it was a, a recording at a festival or whatnot, but the two of them coming together and singing M- Melissa is amazing. Sounds the Indigo, great. Bonnaroo. Yeah, the Indigo Girls do a good version of it too. I, I'll mm-hmm. give props to them. They 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 nailed it. But this for me you know, as someone who was not a huge jam band fan was um, a, it was one that was always on any of those four radio stations I mentioned in the beginning, whether it was retro hour or just what they were doing. Um, And, you know, and B um, it was, you know, just, just a, uh, I I mean, I I don't want, I hope it wasn't commercialized as a hit. I mean, maybe they wrote it and said, we need to have something to get on the radio, but I love the fact that it has, a, a start middle end speaks to my very linear linear, linear nature of of enjoying music so yeah. well, and the one guitar is a nice little tear you know if you're a nerd like it's just yeah <laughs> one guitar and it's dicky trying to kind of play what Dwayne may play on it i don't know i'm gonna be jr i'm gonna be real interested to get your take on something we'll say i'll save it to the end about the almond brothers okay um, yeah so this this song is also the this the second song on the album to to talk about gypsies or mention gypsies. Yes, I was going to say that. Yeah. It becomes a theme on the album. Um, all right, so this is where it gets interesting now as far as like, you know, which version of the album you're listening to. So uh, track four, if you're listening to, a, you know, streaming or a CD, you're going to get the full Mountain Jam. Now on the vinyl, they split it in half. And... <laughs> And this is a this is a half hour song. This is 30 minutes and, and change. And it, you know, it it is slightly improvised, but at the same time, it's also, you know, it's rehearsed. Of course, there, there's like uh everyone gets a solo in this. So obviously those guys can do what they want in their in their spotlight. But what I think is very interesting about this, the, the fact that it got split on the vinyl. So for years. People had this record, and for years, they 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 get to Mountain Song, and they get halfway through, and they're like, "Okay, all right, so I guess we'll just listen to the rest of the record." And then they get to the end, and they finally get to finish it, and <laughs> that's how they listen. That's how they knew this song for years. And then all of a sudden, like the digital format comes out, and you're like, "You mean that I can just listen to the whole half an hour? I don't have to even listen to anything else. I can just listen to this one like." this like mini album that's inside of another album basically yeah well it's got its fades though and i think it's intentional 
for dual vinyl, like radio stations or people dual vinyl then, so they could have one playing faded out while the other plays in and get that singular experience. Or they just wouldn't fit and it was math with numbers. But that's the only things I could think of that made sense. You got to believe that there was, you know, two stoners sitting side they had two turntables right next to each other Ready and they go. had it calculated and marked on the record where i need to drop this needle and you need to pick it up and this shit's going to continue i have no doubt i, I said no three doubt. two one go yeah I, I, <laughs> are we going on three or are one two three yeah, I, yeah. i'm just i'm also just picturing like some you know someone younger coming to their dad and being like dad you no longer have to flip the record here yeah. you go. Just mountain jam it all day, Dad, on repeat. <laughs> when am I supposed to pee? Yeah. <laughs> well, as I sort of met, I mean, I can imagine, you know, especially, you know, somebody younger and getting into music and experimenting drugs. It's not a stretch for me to envision that somebody under the influence of, say, psychedelic mushrooms might think that the Almond Brothers are forever. It's never going to end. Your life will just always be with Mountain Jam happening in the background. I could empathize with that that scenario. I mean, is it because Mountain Jam never ends? I mean, it's, I think, you know, you could you could have so many different conversations in the stretch of one Mountain Jam. You might think that a year has passed and it's still playing. So, you know, for the purposes of a podcast, you know, I I listened to it. I got through it a couple of times, but uh, I, I tell you, every time I listen to this album, I, I, I just skip it. I, I, I mean, because it's its own thing. It, it's like if I'm in the mood for Mountain Jam, I'll just put Mountain it's, Jam on. It's the same thing with Stairway to Heaven or, or I mean, you know, you run into these commitment songs, which is like, okay, I, you know, uh, Freebird is, is an amazing song. And when it comes up, I'm like, we know it. I don't need to go down that emotional tunnel right now. It's funny you mentioned that, though, because Almond Brothers came from the whole like Muscle Shoals, which is where Leonard Skinner started. Yeah. And made made their first record and then didn't make it. And the guys of Muscle Shoals were the ones that absolutely refused to cut Freebird. They were like, if you cut that, that band won't exist. That song has to be how they do it. And then they actually didn't make it with that record. After they died, they released that record. Um, oh, wow. And we went back and you could hear the original versions, of all these songs that they did. So that was like a thing that they were proud of down there. Like we don't, we're cutting our songs. We'll do them as long as we want. As long as uh, we want. Well, but even as a fan, I skipped the song. It's, you know, I get, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with there being two drummers, you know, someone, someone who can appreciate a drum solo, but might think they go on too long. Uh, well, uh, sorry, bud, because there's going to be two. You're, you're going to get back <laughs> to back. And you're just sort of like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Two drummers. And then like, you know, for instance, like when I was listening to it and like, I, I, you know, I'd forgotten about like everything that happens in the song, like even on this second or third time I listened to it, uh, the thought crosses my mind. It's like, man, you know, poor bass players, they never get a solo. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Nope. He's, he's getting one, but he's getting it after the drum solo. I wouldn't want to follow a drum solo with a bass solo. Look in that. You got two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So yeah, the so the next uh, oh yeah we talk about this is obviously this is live with the Fillmore East they they the Fillmore East they had so many um, cuts from that that they talked about the hell they could do a whole another album so uh, you know they took some of those one session was from March they and they played Fillmore East a lot so one was like from the March live sessions Mountain Jam I think was from the September live sessions. Um, 
but yeah, this this is the first of, of three live tracks. And then the next two, well, the next one, One Way Out, um, which was uh, originally written by Elmore James. And then some say it was written by Sonny Boy Williamson. You know, these two great blues artists that sort of like reworked the same song. Um, but yeah, I, this, I love this. This is a good song. I mean, this is a guy in a bad situation, right? He's, he can't. You know, I mean, he can't go downstairs because uh, his uh, his hookups his hookups man is waiting for him downstairs, and he's got to go out the window. And the thing that always comes to mind, probably because I just watched it recently, is the Cheech and Chong's "Nice Dreams," where the scene where he has to go out the window, yeah, you know, and onto the elevator. I I just think <laughs> um, the next track, "Trouble No More," uh, it's another live one. This one was uh, Muddy Waters, which is actually Muddy Waters did a variation on a older, like not some a blues song from like 1935. But uh, I I did not know that this they actually did a studio version of this on their very first album, an album that I don't know. So, um, but yeah, another another great blues cover. Uh, and you're then, gonna get those out of those guys. I mean, even on the third album, yeah, that was just part of their set, and they're they're lucky that they were. Um, a lot of the stuff we're doing '72 is covers of other people's yeah, stuff. Sure, um, but yeah, I, I just think it's because um, not a not a lot on this album has that sort of like very traditional blues sound. So that I, it's interesting that they went back and they're like they're like you know we kind of want to represent that but let's pick let's take the the live cuts and let's do like the blues you know let's do the covers let's let's throw those on there instead of like trying to write our own like you know traditional blues stuff which well they knew that Dwayne could rip on those songs too i mean yeah that that was his practice (laughs) for sure uh and then we go back to the studio with um track seven which is stand back it's probably like musically it's it's probably my favorite song on the album i just i love a groove and this this one is it's it's funky it's groovy i i love this song um i will this this is one where i guess it started out as an instrumental with a different name before uh he put some lyrics to it but i i want to point out though that the lyrics some of the lyrics in this one um kind of make me laugh because well i don't know if they, yeah yeah they make me laugh because i think i think there's a reference to a zombie in this song so let me let me just find the lyrics real quick um so so this the song is about you know a guy moaning about his his woman cheating on him and then in the bridge in the bridge of the song uh he says just when all began to fade, I reached out through the Ace of Spades, which it, it, I interpret that I interpret the Ace of Spades as like the card of death. And then, then he says, I put her on a train to the Everglades. Now you can think that like, I mean, the Ace of Spades, to, to, in, my, in my mind, I interpret that as like he killed her, but then he says he puts her on a train to the Everglades. So it's like, oh, I, I guess maybe got rid of her 
if that's not a metaphor for he i was gonna her, say that could be you know that's dumpster you know, in the dumping swamp a, dumping somebody you know <laughs> taking to the everglades is is definitely a drop-off spot for yeah for, yeah. And uh, they're in Miami, you know, they're yeah. close to Miami. And but then in the third verse, that he says, "But if I ever see that woman walking down the street, I'll just stand back and try to move away slowly." And I'm pretty sure he's talking about a zombie. He killed this woman, and he's he's he has he's having a nightmare about seeing her her zombie walking down the sidewalk towards him. Funny, Greg. Greg writes this one and then writes Melissa. And I wonder, they're like, "Wait a minute." Yeah, <laughs> I like the zombie stuff better. <laughs> um, no, no, I just, I, I don't know. I, I guess you know when I say like maybe I don't find it. I find the zombie stuff funny. The the, the stuff I don't find so funny is there's a, there's a lot of classic rock songs out there that talk about violence towards women. But um, but you know. What are you gonna do? And nothing. What are you gonna do? What are you <laughs> gonna do? Yeah. It's gonna rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna rock though. Don't worry. Uh so track eight, Blue Sky. This one is Dickie Betts' song. Um, guitar solos are so fucking amazing on this song. I I love the fact that they they one starts and then they do it in the middle, and then the, you know, the guy that came in takes over and then they do another little duet at the end uh yeah so you know musically it's amazing um it it starts the trend of dickie bet singing which is just not my favorite um <laughs> almond brothers thing uh, you know yeah. much like his guitar playing he's got a voice that it, you know is it it just doesn't speak to me and i again no disrespect I mean, dickie betts is a better musician than i will ever be there let me state that for the record um but as far as what what can turn me off a, a 19 minute jam session and dickie betts singing is definitely <laughs> something that can uh, make me leave the room for a moment so I check some boxes for yeah, you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it, it was according to um according to trucks uh, Dwayne insisted that Dickie, Dickie sing the song because it was mm-hmm. his. Yeah, you know, and he's yeah. like, "I suck." He's like, <laughs> yeah. "No, you got to do it." Dwayne has got all the your... decisions. Yeah, yeah. He, he just he doesn't quite have. Yeah, he doesn't have the the soul that Greg has. You know, but, but it well, does I speak... mean, gosh, it's he's trying to keep up with Dwayne, so it's like keep just concentrate on one. <laughs> got a hard enough job to like be in Dwayne's shadow and then take over for him. Essentially, <laughs> don't try to sing too yeah <laughs> it, this this one was like a tribute to his wife sandy blue sky um yeah. and you know he he said that instead of like making the song about like people he'd rather make it about a spirit and so it just the song just sort of like has the imagery of beautiful things instead of you know people experiencing it uh, a lot of really cool like pedal steel mimicking guitar things which are amazing it really taught me how to make a guitar solo technical and tricky while not stepping on someone else's toes and making a solo that people can sing the notes to. I could sit here and sing that entire solo with my voice. And that's when you can do that with a guitar solo, in my opinion, it gets up there. It's going to get in people's brain. They're going to remember it. It's going to lay into those formative years and times and memories of your past because 
again, they're, they're intertwining together. You don't know who's going where, who's, and it's just this like beautiful noise and technical proficiency while you hear every note and its clarity. And there's just something about it. Um, whenever it comes on with that rest of that playlist on whatever station, there's something that sticks out. And most of those other songs probably aren't going to have a guitar solo at all, let alone one like that. But totally empathize with the bets. And you won't get a lot of Allman Brothers fans that disagree with you on that, to be honest. Which, I mean, is, you know, I, again, it's, I will say, what, what I will say is that it, it lends itself to there being a variety in sound, which I do appreciate. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, yeah. he's, uh, again, no disrespect meant, but it's, yeah, like I said, coming, taking on this project with you all really opened my eyes to what my relationship to the Allman Brothers actually is. And, you know, at first. Or is like, now different it, than it was when I was younger, for sure. <laughs> sure. Yep. And to close out the album, uh, Little Martha is a little instrumental, the only song solely written by Dwayne. Um, and of course, she, of course, they had to put this on there. And you know, and, and a great closer too. And, and, and another, uh, another uh, reason why Mountain Jam at, as a single track is so much better than putting the second half of Mountain Jam at the end of this album, because this album needed to end with Little Martha. Well, and interestingly, you know, so going back to the radio, which again was my first uh, introduction to the Allman Brothers as, as you know, a, a young kid in the car, this is, I mean, I, I'm hard, I, I'm sitting here right now trying to think of other bands that have just instrumentals that get radio time like this. I mean, this gets included in lineups and it's a, it's a beautiful song. Um, and yeah. it's, you know, it sounds at some point, at sometimes it sounds like there's 30 guitars playing at one time. I mean, it just blows my mind. Um, but the fact that it will, you know, it, you'll hear it on the radio and yeah. and it it's has no driving lyrics it's just this this guitar instrumentalist is is uh it's a testament to the the power of the song for sure yeah, and that's a great I, point i think the 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 bittersweetness of it is you can you know people can also debate or theorize would had had Dwayne not died would this song have turned into something else you know because it, it feels like it feels like something he wrote he laid it down just as maybe as just a demo or just a thought that he wanted to give to Greg and Greg, Greg may have added something to it and put the lyrics to it for all we know, like had it survived. And so it, ex it exists in its format because of, you know, his tragic death possibly. Yeah. It sounds like to me as a guitar player, something that he would sit down and like play when he picked up a guitar. Like it was, it's kind of like a warm up. Most guitar players have some kind of warm up or practice thing that they've written that they do to kind of get in the mood or get their fingers going. And it really sounds like that. It reminds me of Lenny by Stevie Ray Vaughan, which is about his wife. This song is about um, Dixie, his girlfriend. Um, some of the dorky stuff behind it. There's rumors about who little Martha is. There was some little girl in the cemetery that they used to go to that was like a effigy of a little girl in concrete. Um, but supposedly in, in Dwayne's and Greg's book that he called Dixie Little Martha because she dressed old fashioned. Okay. Um, and so Dickie's on the song, too. And then they're, they're both playing open E guitars. So it's almost, again, like Dickie coming in and sitting with him on his thing he's played forever. And 
Leo Kaki, I read, I didn't know this, covered this in almost all of his concerts because he thinks this is the most beautiful guitar song that's ever been written. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was great validation because I get sometimes get flack for liking Dwayne Allman or people just don't really know what a big influence he had. And just that little song that sounds like something you'd catch him playing on the toilet in the morning um, about his girlfriend is like, you know, hailed as one of the best guitar songs ever written. And great point, Gabe. I cannot think of another instrumental song. Yeah, that gets playtime like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, here are your players uh, Greg Allman, lead vokes, organ, piano, Rhodes, acoustic guitar. Um, Former share. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, you know, he, um, he sadly died in 2017. Uh, uh, Dwayne Allman played guitars on everything except the first three tracks. Of course, uh, Dickie Betts lead guitar, folks on Blue Sky. Um, he he left the band. They had a, they had a falling out, and he left in two thousand, and he was not part of the band after that at all. Uh, Barry Oakley on bass. Um, man, tragically died in a motorcycle accident as well. Like, like two weeks after the album was cut, right? I mean, it was it was all with. I know they were both died within the same year, if not. Well, the the album came out in February of seventy two. His accident was in October of seventy two. Okay. So it was like later in the year after. Later the in the year. Yeah. Gotcha. There are uh, also he, rumors he died at the same spot. That's also hearsay, right? I've never looked. At oh, it. I don't know. I hadn't looked. Yeah, I hadn't looked. That he died at the yeah. same intersection, but I don't. Uh, it sounds like rumor too. Uh, from what I, I I read from the guy's uh, memories, that he you know he slipped into like a pretty bad spiral while they were on tour for this album. Uh, he he wasn't taking like Dwayne's absence well, so he was drinking a lot. They said he you know his rehearsals were bad. They had to even replace him with another bass player for a little while. Uh, yeah, that, you know, sad, sad end for that guy, too. Um, then you got Jamo Johansson on drums, congas. He, he was fired in 80 due to his back problems, and then they rehired him in 89. He's been with them since then. Uh, Butch Trucks, the other drummer, percussion. Died the same year as Greg, 2017, same age, even 69. Um, unfortunately, he took his own life, though. Uh, they said mm. it was it was like financial problems where we're really stressing him out. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't either. Yikes. Yeah. Um, on production, Tom Dodd was uh, he worked with them. Uh, he he actually had to leave halfway into the session because he had obligations with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah. And he, he ran out of time and uh, a good friend of theirs, another engineer, Johnny Sandlin, he took over halfway in. Um, but he got, he got kind of upset cause he didn't even get a credit. He got like a thank you in the liner notes, but he was not credited as an assistant producer or engineer or anything on it. I wonder if that's taxes, they paid him under the table or something. I know, but he, he talked, he talked uh, in some interviews about how, um, emotional it was to mix what were like the last recordings that Dwayne ever laid down. I didn't even think about that. What a dick thing for Crosby, Stills, and Nash to do. Let yeah. the guy finish the postmortem album. Good lord. 
Good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, the it, album was certified platinum. Uh, it peaked at number four on the U.S. pop charts, peaked at number 12 on the Canadian charts. And yeah, that's, that's Eat a Peach. Uh, what else you got to say about it? Yeah, I you know I'm I'm looking back at just some of the notes I wrote down, and we did cover, um, did some good covering here. I like that. Um, we try, you know, we try to keep it tight on the show, Gabe. Yeah. Well, here I am. You know, as as it was mentioned, I, so you know, I, well, I okay, so I do recall you all. Um, you were you were sort of talking about six degrees of separation among a number of these people, and and I know that. Um, you know, Dwayne Allman was the basically the house guitarist for Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, and through that, was just up against it in, you know, all of these different, you know, other other musicians' life. And I think it was Otis Redding that that uh, playing with Otis Redding really helped him uh, get his his own shot with a producer. And um, um, I think it was uh, I think he was playing background on was it a uh, Wilson Pickett's version of Hey Jude, which, hey Jude. which is. Yep outstanding um really good and uh you know i mean it, i i remember from um my history of rock and roll classes that you know if you could be a house musician um you know it was that was some of the gravy gig right there as far as as steady work and connecting with people who were just on fire and getting a little bit of a sample of that fire to keep going um and yeah it's you know you pose an interesting I mean, what what would become of the band if Dwayne Allman hadn't passed? Would Eat a Peach have been anywhere near as successful if Allman had stayed up? Their previous two albums, uh, you know, had not been amazing, and and they were known for their live gigs, but but could that have continued? So the what ifs there are are strong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think about that because the two the two hit singles off of this album, uh, one being you know. Uh, mourning the loss of his brother and the other being his brother's favorite song that Greg never intended to be an Allman Brothers song. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, a big what ifs there. So falling down, JR, this is what I was going to ask you. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll pose it to the both of you. Um, there's an album, there's an Allman Brothers album called Dreams, which is a compilation album of just you know, every I, I, music from their time in, in Hourglass and, and Almond Joys and the earlier stuff, but it also gets into some of their later stuff. And there's alt alt versions of Midnight Rider that are really great. Um, but there's a version of the blues song Come and Go, and I think it's called Come and Go Blues. And it's it has just absorbed my mind. I mean, I've listened to it like 20 times a day. It is there's there's an album version of it that's much more upbeat and jammy but the one that's on this this dreams album is so smooth it's a slow groove um greg almond is is you know singing his his ass off and it's just it's funky and groovy and i was the reason i came across this was because after this album eat a peach i was like i love you know some of these songs they hit me in all the right ways are there any hidden gems on other ones that, you know, I've missed that I'm overlooking that I need to find. Um, and 
you know, I, 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 the stuff in the nineties was good, but it didn't, didn't rock my world, but I just came across that one song and, and grabbed onto it. I was wondering if it was on your radar or not, because I haven't seen it. Um, I've seen some instructional videos for it on YouTube. So I know it's recognized, but nobody's, you know, nobody really talks about it and it doesn't have any rating love. And I just wondered if it was on your radar at all. It's not on mine. It is now. I, I mean, I've heard, as, I've heard dreams before, but that's a big one collection, like you said. Yeah. Well, and we use the two, you know, for being a two guitar band, I think it's a single, single guitar song, but it's, um, uh, it is a slow groove and I highly recommend it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, they were able to, Mike kind of said this earlier, they, they're able to add like a funk element. And I think it comes from that fame muscle shoals, Wilson Pickett kind of stuff where, there was a different flavor, a different seasoning added to it. Kind of like Waylon did with country, just like another little bit. Waylon covered Almond Brothers, by the way, later, because mm -hmm. like, and they influenced that, like, sure, you can do country, but make it a little funky or, you yeah. know, and like, and mm -hmm. the way that they could, I have a feeling that they got a lot of blessing from the blues greats. I'll put it that way, because they did their own thing with it and gave it heart and soul and some dirt to it that kind of showed they had grown up on the wrong side of the tracks too so sure i'll check it out i appreciate that i That's recommend awesome. i mean it's i'd love to get your impression on it because i'm just sitting here going why isn't you know why haven't <laughs> i i've never heard this one on the radio um well i i unfortunately cannot comment on it because i am contractually obligated to only talk about 1972 so okay fair but, that's but fair that is that is going to be my next question do you have any recommendations and you just gave it to us listen to the allman brothers in the 1990s yeah yeah particularly that i mean dreams comes with some fun alt stuff that's that's uh uh i was intrigued by well hey uh thanks gabe for hanging out with us and talking about eat a peach um all right so that's it Here's the sign off. Everyone say it with me. Happy 50th birthday. Happy 50th oh, birthday. Way off, way off. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get it. We'll get I was going to say, you win. Yeah.